0: Thursday was a celebration of the 75th anniversary of D-Day, Operation Overlord. It was called by historian Alex Kershaw that June 6th, 1944, this day was called the most important day in human history. I, I don't want to take anything away from that, but we do know that there was an important three stretches of days. There were even more so. Not just for human history, but we'll put it in the category of human eternity. Of, of how humanity would spend their immortality in heaven or in hell. But on this most important day in human history, as been called by historians, in a letter released to the invading troops on the morning of their invasion, the Supreme Allied Commander Dwight D. Eisenhower addressed the troops with these words. He said, maybe you've heard them before. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven this many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on the other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe and security for ourselves in the free world." And then he sent them on mission. And we have been sent on not not a historically defining mission, but on an eternity defining mission for the world. It's been known as the Great Commission. And we've been given a great power to carry it out in the person of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of Christ Christ who we've been promised will be with us to the end of the age. And so why are we talking about the Great Commission in the midst of our series here on Simon Peter's transformation? You see, it's important to know that the man that we will see in the book of Acts, that we'll spend a few weeks looking at Peter in the book of Acts, is on mission. He is on mission, and he is on the same mission that we are to be as followers of Christ. And it's important to see that the man that we will see in the book of Acts is different from the Simon Peter of the Gospels because he has a different power about him. He is indwelt with the Holy Spirit that is, has been promised by Jesus his Savior. So we looked there this morning at God's man on gospel mission and really we're we're transitioning if you will away from Jesus' personal physical presence with Peter into what we will see as his spiritual presence, his indwelling in the form of the Holy Spirit in Peter next week what we've seen of peter's courage so far is is somewhat kind of all talk, right? I'll go with you to the wall, I'll go to the wall for you Jesus. Then I never knew this guy. To then saying, "Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you." And Jesus responding with "feed my sheep." He's kind of like the man that bragged once that he that he cut off the tail of a knife. I'm sorry. He cut off the tail of a lion with a knife. When the person asked him, well, if you're so tough, why didn't you cut off its head? He said, well, somebody had already beat me to it. Peter's kind of all talk. He's he's been kind of making much of himself, making much of his impressions, his impulses. He's talked big. And we'll see him take on the greatest mission of all eternity. With the greatest power at its fingertips. And we see God's plan in a passage of Scripture that's well known by, by most of us in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. We read Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now several times after his resurrection between Jesus and angels they're told go to Galilee go to Galilee. I don't know if Jesus showed up in the upper room like kind of like guys I said go to Galilee. But I'm here because that's where you are. But but this is in obedience to him that they were to meet him in Galilee and Jesus spent 40 days on earth walking physically or appearing to people over the span of forty days after his resurrection, and when it talks about when they saw him, it's more likely than this is more than just the eleven disciples First Corinthians fifteen describes that Jesus appeared to over five hundred of his followers, the brothers they call it says at one time and and so it may be that this is Uh, that meeting of over 500 of these brothers and that would, you know, add to that women and, and so on. And so those that some doubted could be amongst that crowd. But understand that this idea that them doubting, just as a side note, it doesn't describe unbelief. It describes more of the idea of this is too good to be true. This is a phenomenon, too good to be true. We continue in verse 18. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus at this point has been exalted by God the Father. All things have been put under his feet as his footstool. All authority has been given to him. You know, it's interesting to me that Satan tempted Jesus in Matthew 4 and that that those temptations of Jesus... He, he tempted him saying, "Bow down to me and I will give and all the kingdoms of the earth will be yours." Well Jesus has cashed in his obedience here, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, as he rightly deserves. He's been reinstated to his original glory. And so he says, "Go, therefore, as a result of this." listen to me he's saying go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age i think they changed that behold you know from lo i am with you always to behold Because a lot of people wouldn't fly on airplanes because they thought, he's not with me if I'm there. No, that's, but anyways, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Saying as a result of the fact that I have authority over all things, both on earth and in heaven, listen to me and be on mission, be my missionaries. That's where we get that term, missionaries. But what we see here is that this is not limited to what we understand, what we have categorized or boxed up as missionaries. This is for all of Jesus' followers. I I see here a connection with the creation mandate of Genesis 1 and 2 to, to spread God's dominion. to to subdue the earth again. We have been sent out, Jesus' followers have been sent out to spread his dominion again. And as we'll see in Acts 1, beginning in Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I challenge you, first of all, this morning, from this, as we take from this, trade your plans for Jesus' gospel mission. That's what we are called to do. You know, some of these disciples could have been like, "Ah, uh, you know what? I had, I was, I'm about to retire. I was going to sell my fishing boat. I was going to move up to my cabin, you know, over in Capernaum. I, you know, Jesus, I got other plans. Trade your plans for Jesus' gospel mission. You're never too old for this, folks." Never too old. We always have influence. We've seen the the plans of Simon Peter, the man's man. You know, first of all, Luke 4, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You don't want to have anything to do with me. Uh, To him saying, Lord, you will never go to the cross. You will never be arrested. That will never happen to you. But he's been given Jesus' plans, Jesus' gospel mission for him. After publicly recommissioning Peter, those three times on that beach publicly before the other disciples so they can see Peter is still just as much my man as he was before. Now he gives all of them the greatest mission to go on. And the command here is to make disciples. That is the command word of these verses. To be part of bringing people to Christ and training them to obey Christ. To find abundant life in obeying Christ. And the go here is, is, is a participle having to do with what is, it kind of adds to make disciples. And it means as you go, as they went, to be on mission and take him to share him wherever they are, as they are going. And the next two verbs here, let me geek out on you here, they're instrumental participles. Telling how to make Disciples. First of all, is baptizing to be identified with following Christ, with the triune person and work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And their minds are kind of going like, whoa. Okay, now we're all talking about three. We're talking about all three of them here. It's like everything's converging here on this mission from the triune God. Baptism is... It's not intended to be the capstone of salvation, the salvation experience here. Okay? It's not intended to be like, "Okay, now that you're baptized, I'll punch your ticket." Instead, it's the beginning of obeying Jesus. It's the beginning of discipleship. It's intended to be a command to be obeyed in response to what Jesus has done in salvation. A person is not required to be baptized in order to receive God's saving grace. In the same way, if you look here, they're not required to be taught to obey all that Christ has commanded in order to receive God's saving grace. Okay? If you take from here that baptism is a requirement for salvation, then being taught to obey, obey all that God has commanded is also a requirement. For salvation, it is the instrument by which someone is discipled. And the second aspect of how to make disciples, as I mentioned, is being taught. It's teaching them, learning his truth through his teachings and through Bible teachers and through God's word. But there's more to offer than just rote obedience. As John 15 reminds us, abiding in God's love, abiding in Christ's love, comes with keeping his commandments. John 15 informs us that being taught to obey all that Christ has commanded or teaching someone to obey all that Christ has commanded them, is you're teaching them how to be able to walk in close relationship with Christ, abiding in him. As Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, you will abide in my love. See, this morning, see this. Being on gospel mission is more than just a matter of sharing Christ. Inasmuch as being a disciple, being trained by Christ is, is far more than just being saved. Jesus gave us the mission of being missionaries and training other missionaries. That's what discipleship is. And and this is of all nations. Aren't you grateful for this? Both Gentiles and Jews? It's like, thank you, Jesus, for including us here on this. Right? That's the phrase we should be thankful for here. uh, As well as all of the rest. You know, thinking about the celebration of D-Day last Thursday... What took place in the early hours of June 6, 1944 was the biggest single military operation ever undertaken in human history. The Allied forces had over 7,000 ships involved, including over 1,200 Allied warships converging on that beach, on those beaches, that stretch of land. Over four thousand other ships that were used to carry personnel as well. In the course of that single day, one hundred and thirty two thousand Allied troops would land on those five beaches. One hundred and thirty two thousand. God's strategy on this day, as Jesus is giving his great commission to us, was to send out under a thousand of his soldiers into a hostile, unbelieving world. These, these folks were cowering in the upper room with the doors locked. And this is God's strategy. To do what? To do what he had taught and lived out before them. To teach others to do the same. Robert Coleman said, the ultimate goal of Jesus for his disciples was that his life be reproduced in them and through them his life be reproduced in the lives of others the fact that the group of men had led uh, he led was small made little difference His gospel would conquer as they reproduced and taught their disciples to reproduce. Reproduction was our Lord's desire for the twelve, but multiplication was his ultimate end. An exponential multiplication. But in order to have that, people must be informed of the fact that to be discipled, to be trained to to follow Christ closely is to seek to train others. And the first step of God's strategy that I want to communicate to you is first commit to be one of Jesus's trainees. Commit to be one of Jesus's trainees. First that, that doesn't happen without the prerequisite, of you, if you will, of putting our trust in Christ for salvation. Putting our trust in Christ alone for our salvation, obviously. But that, if you will, is a prerequisite of discipleship. It's a prerequisite of being trained in how to follow Christ. And to follow Christ is to look to train others. And, we, and certainly we trust Christ by, by recognizing the fact that we can trust in nothing else that is going to be able to pave a way for us to, be have, to have a relationship with God. I thought about the other day that, you know, when I was uh, in high school and college, you know, I'd be like, like with uh, my dad or with, with somebody else. And, you know, there'd be like 10 of us at a table. And my jaw would just kind of drop when I'd see the bill come over and it go to one person. And they're like, yeah, I got it, you know. And now I'm kind of like, I'm in that spot, you know. We're out with the kids and uh, my son-in-law Braden is with us or maybe we're up in in Chicago visiting Micaiah and there's some friends along. It's like, okay, I've got it, you know. And I was just thinking this morning, I was like, wow, I'm that guy. And I think that just comes with, with, you know, Maturing. I just never thought I'd be that guy. But think about what Jesus did. He took the bill for everybody. Everyone's sins, of the whole world, for all of time. He took that bill and he paid it. That understanding, and that understanding that that is what it takes is what it means to totally trust Christ as our Savior. And that understanding should create in us a desire to obey him a desire to dig deeper in relationship with him. It brings that understanding that that crossing that line and beginning that relationship with him is the beginning of relationship with the indwelling Holy Spirit that should be pushing us toward being trained by Christ, being trained by his word. Prerequisite is that you put your faith in Christ. And also, step number one of being trained by Christ is what he said, be baptized, obey me. You know, it's this interesting thing that he puts right at the front, and it's kind of like, start your life of obedience with this. You know, if, if he said, stand in your front yard and yell, ollie yell, ollie oxen free, that's what we would do. But it wouldn't be such a beautiful picture of what happens spiritually, as Romans 6 talks about, that we've been baptized into Christ. That we have that experience of going down into water and being baptized and covered and come up of what Romans 6 also talks about we've been raised to a new life. And we're raised anew, different than when we went down. And we're also called to commit to being taught, to learn Jesus' teaching. You're sitting here, you're listening, and I know, so in some ways I'm preaching to the choir. That's why you're here. To hear from God's word being opened and expounded and explained. To start your week with that. That's what you're doing here. Way to go. To be on on mission as well. To take him and share him as you are going. Not meaning waiting until you've learned enough. That's that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was all about on-the-job training. Using it as you're learning it. And if the excuse for not getting involved in ministry is that I don't know enough, don't worry. Learning all that Jesus has commanded takes a lifetime. This is not intended to be like, okay, I'll get involved in ministry. I'll get involved in in great commission intentionality once I've learned enough. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. And that's and that's why you know for us as a body we desire to disciple through ministry, not disciple so that you can be involved in ministry. I learned about Ernie Pyle this last week, a Hoosier, who's known as the greatest war correspondent. He sent back a lot of understanding of what was going on at D Day and in Europe and 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 in Asia. He's he's the one that penned. There are no atheists in foxholes. He wrote a description of the destruction. And when he landed in Normandy the day after D-Day, D-Day plus one, he says by the time we got here, the, trend, the, the, tr- uh, the beaches had been taken and the fighting had moved a couple miles inland. He describes a gigantic pit full of litter of wreckage along miles of shoreline, submerged tanks and overturned boats and burned trucks and shell-shattered jeeps and sad little personal belongings strewn all over these bitter sands. That plus the bodies of soldiers lying in rows covered with blankets, the toes of their shoes sticking up as in a line as though on, on drill and other bodies uncollected, still sprawling grotesquely in the sand. Next day he writes of the horrible waste of war. He says, it was a lovely day for strolling along the seashore. Men were sleeping on the sand, some of them sleeping forever. Men were floating in the water, but they didn't know that they were in the water, for they were dead. What if, what if those men that followed on D-Day plus one got to the beach... And like Ernie Pyle said here, it's a lovely day for a stroll. What if they decided, you know what? I've always wanted to spend a couple of days at the beach. I th- I think I could live here. You know, look at this. It's been taken. We've landed. I see. I don't see any Germans around. I don't see any Nazis. I, why move on from here? Well, obviously that would have been ridiculous. But folks, we are at D-Day plus 722,000. Okay, I calculated what would be, you know, 2000 years minus 33 years. We're at D-day, Jesus' death and resurrection plus 722,000 days. But we no less are to be called on to be on gospel mission then those men that landed on D-Day plus one at Normandy were called to the same mission as the men that got there first. And we are, no call, we are called to no less sacrifice. And I, and I challenge you to be one of Jesus' trainees. We give lots of opportunities in small groups to be discipled through ministry opportunities to build relationships, to be here, to, to beat that American average of two Sundays out of five, that's pitiful. Be no less on mission than day one. What do you think that you're going to learn when you're taught to obey Christ? you're going to learn the Great Commission. Just like we're learning here. I'm teaching you to obey all that Christ has commanded. And a major part of being Christ's disciple is sharing him with others. Take him and share him as you are going. On June 6, 1984, President Ronald Reagan spoke to the, of the invasion that day with several of the veterans of the battle before him. And looking at the aging veterans... Here it was only 40 years after D-Day. President Reagan asked, what compelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives to take these cliffs? What inspired all the men of the armies that were here? We look at you and somehow we know that answer. It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love. When you're trained to obey Christ, you're also driven to sacrifice out of faith and belief and loyalty and love. It is not constricted service. Yeah, I, I think of a. A man that, that we talked about, some of the church was in Rapid City, and we talked about some of the, the churches in this area, and he had experienced those type of churches where he had lived, uh, in Nebraska. And when I described to him that particular kind of denominational structure, he looked at it and he said, oh, they drive their sheep hard. They drive their sheep hard. That is not what we are called to. We're called to follow Christ together out of faith and belief and loyalty and love for Christ and for each other. And as a result of your growing in your love for God and others, I challenge you to challenge others to trust Christ and to be chained Challenge others to be baptized, to be identified with following Christ, to start obeying Him with that, because He said so. To be on guard against humanity's default thinking of formulaic legalism. Okay? Baptism is, is not do this and be saved, it is Christ has done it all. Now obey Him freely. Challenge others to be taught, to learn His truth through His teaching. To be on gospel mission. Take him and share him as you're going. If we truly are discipling someone to follow Christ, they'll be challenged to be a disciple maker themselves. As I'm challenging you here this morning. You know, there were so many different jobs that went into June 6, 1944. In the wee hours of the morning, Allied planes dropped 24,000 paratroopers. Not on the beach, but inland. And these men began to take roads and bridges and military equipment. Equipment They established communication lines and destroyed Nazi communication lines. Did you know for months before the invasion, men and women, women were some of the best spies. Men and women were parachuted into France to gather information, to set explosives to strategic structures. They all had this same goal of this invasion that would take place on June 6th. And by D-Day, the Nazis could not move their reinforcements from Calais to Normandy because three-quarters of the train cars in France had been destroyed by these people that had been parachuting in for months prior to the invasion. And in the same way, being involved in the great commission in gospel mission will look different for different people. It starts with discipling your kids. Seeking so you to disciple your your grandkids. My book my boys and I are going through a book called Becoming the Man You Can Be. That that walks through the life of Joshua. Discipling other men and other women. I'm, I'm with at least two other guys I'm going through um, navigators designed for discipleship and both of them know this is for you to take someone else through also it never just stops with you teaching children's church is a great outlet doing a backyard bible club this summer in your neighborhood sarah carlson she'll be there she'll have the the workers she'll have you'll probably all you probably do is just make lemonade and pass out invitations It's a great opportunity with your neighbor simply starting a conversation, asking those three questions. Where do you think everything came from? What do you think is wrong with it? What do you think is the answer? Do you mind if I share with you my thoughts on that? It can be that simple. So how is it that Peter was transformed from being a man's man? How did this happen into God's man? Transformed from a man's man into a God's man? Was it from this point forward that he just like, Yeah, Jesus, I'm going to start trying really hard from this point forward. I'm on it. No. At a later time, after the 40 days that Jesus had resurrected, Jesus was with his disciples in Jerusalem this time. We can read in Acts 1.6. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were still learning. They were still learning. He invested it in them, even though they were still learning. It's okay to be still learning. But he says to them, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And guess what? To the end of the earth. We're that stage of this mission. But not just the missionaries we send out to the end of the earth. We still have our own Judea and Samaria. In Jerusalem, And I challenge you, trade your plans for God's power. When he says you will receive power, this is dynamis, dynamic. We get the term dynamite from this. And next week we'll look at this dynamic power that came with the indwelling Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But Robin Coleman also says this, speaking to the danger of relying on certain methods to do the work of sharing the gospel, he says, evangelism is not done by something, but by someone. It is an expression of God's love, and God is a person. His nature, being personal, is only expressed through personality. First revealed fully in Christ, and now expressed through His Holy Spirit in the lives of those yielded to Him, Until we have such people imbued by the Spirit and committed to His plan, none of our methods will work. Until we have such people imbued by His Spirit and committed to His plan, none of our methods will work. That's what he means when he says it's not done by something. It's not done by a program. It's done by people. And it's done by the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling people. And there is a resistance in this world. In the same way, speaking of the deadly German defenses, Ernie Pyle wrote, "A bluff that stood a hundred feet high stood before us. In it were great concrete gun emplacements built right into the top of the hilltop. These opened to the sides instead of to the front, thus making it very hard for naval fire from the sea to reach them. But also, they could shoot parallel with the beach and cover every feet of it for miles with artillery fire. But still, Eisenhower told his troops, I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. And that those deadly defenses, that resistance met a sea full of determined allied forces, the bra- and brave ingenuity in which battleship crews actually ran their ships aground to get close enough to destroy artillery bat- cannons at point-blank range the day after d-day Ernie Pyle. Right, standing out there in the water beyond this wreckage was the greatest armada men had ever seen. You simply could not believe the gigantic collection of ships that lay out there waiting to unload. Looking from the bluff, it lay thick and clear to the far horizon horizon of the sea and beyond. And it spread out to the sides and was miles wide. Its utter enormity would move the hardest man. And then he describes a group of German prisoners that he sees. And he says the prisoners too were looking out to sea. The same bit of sea that for months and years had been so safely empty before their gaze. Now they stood all staring almost as if in a trance. They didn't say a word to each other. They didn't need to. The expression on their faces was something forever unforgettable. And it was the final fortified acceptance of their doom. Folks, there might be huge resistance to the gospel. It might seem like the world is running headlong in the other direction when everybody has decided, I am my own God and I will define what I am. And you better not tell me I can. But we have no less spiritual power to change hearts than what was coming aground on those beaches 75 years ago. When God the Son, who spoke the world into into existence, tells us you're going to receive dynamic power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You better believe that we've got enough of what we need to accomplish His mission. In Him. Our, co- our task is not accomplished by sheer courage, devotion, and duty and skill, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And like the ordinance of baptism, we have another ordinance that we've been given to remember Christ, to remember His sacrifice. And that's his supper, the Lord's Supper, communion. You know, when he says, do this in remembrance of me, this isn't like the old song from the 80s, you know, don't forget me when I'm gone. You know, it's not that. It's remembering what he says in Matthew 28. Behold, I am with you always. Remember who I am now. Remember what I've done. This past week, the world remembered the day that defined the future. In celebrating communion, you are called to remember our Lord's death defining our eternity. The D-Day represented the necessity of so much sacrifice in order to win the world war. Today, sacrifice is called for in furthering God's dominion over this world. But the greatest sacrifice has been made. His body was torn for us. His blood was spilled out for us. And that is what needed to be done so that he can say, I've got the bill. I've got the bill. He took your bill. Because what you deserved, how you paid that bill, was death. That's what scripture tells us. The wages of sin is death. But he did so so that the free gift of God could be eternal life. Now Dan's going to come up and, and play for us a little bit and I just want you to take a moment and dwell on that. If you wouldn't mind just playing instrumentally while we just dwell on this. Your bill has been paid. But it wasn't cheap. It took the very person the very body, the very blood of the Creator and Savior of the world. We encourage anyone who knows Christ as their savior to take communion. But we're called to not take this in an unthinking manner. We're called to not take this flippantly. We're called to not make this a formulaic legalism, some sort of formula by which we make ourselves right. But for it to have the significance That it deserves. And communion finds its significance in the significance of Christ. The significance of Christ is found in the fact that it's all that was needed. That it's all that needed to be done for you. As we sing this song, I just invite you, when you're ready, to come to come together, to come individually. There's a table in the back and a table up front, or two tables up front. And remember what Christ has done for you.